Hey guys, thanks for checking out today's message. We are so glad that you joined us. We consider resources like this one to be supplemental. So if you do not have a church home and you live in the greater Savannah area, we would love to invite you to one of our locations. If you're blessed by today's message and would like to invest into the life and the ministry of City Church, you can do so by visiting our website, citychurch.life, and clicking Give. Our hope is that you'll be blessed and encouraged as we dive into today's message. Build your breakthrough, week one, today's message I've uh, t- entitled The Cost of Breakthrough. And so I think it's really important that you understand that having a breakthrough in your life, experiencing real victory in an area will have a cost, okay? Uh, breakthrough and the type of victory that gets you to the place you want to be, there's going to be a cost that comes with it. And, and unfortunately, uh, uh you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. a lot of times we get to the place of victory and then we're really easily able to go back and go, man, I see what God did. I see everything that it costs to get me here. And, and I think that, that the reason that, oh, thank you very much, Kenneth. This is our coffee connoisseur, making sure I've got a fresh cup. Appreciate that. I'll take a sip from it. Oh, it's hot. Scalded my tongue. All right. All right. Uh, so uh, the, the the idea here of the cost, though, is what would it look like if instead of trying to go at a breakthrough, like we would go at a slot machine where we just keep putting in quarters, right, hoping that eventually we pay the right amount to get the right setting, that we were to go into the idea of breakthrough and say, okay, I know that there's a cost and I need to be ready to pay it, right? If I could figure out what that cost was gonna be. I think there's some things in scripture that will help us to understand what those costs are and how we should be prepared for them. So two types of costs. If you're taking notes, write these down. Two types of costs that I think we see within scripture. The first one is that which is permanently sacrificed, permanently sacrificed. There will be a cost in your life that you will have to pay and there will not be any return from that. You will not see that uh, brought back, okay? There will be things that you have to give up that you'll never do again, you'll never be a part of again. Uh, And the majority of these are going to be areas that are either sin or they are areas that personally keep you away from God, or they're keeping your relationship with God from going to the level that it can go. So Paul talks about things. He says, you know, all things are permissible, but they may not be beneficial. So there are areas in your life that might not be beneficial that you need to permanently be ready to sacrifice and to give up. So we're going to take a look at the book of Micah uh, for just a moment. Micah is one of what they call the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Micah is a, a, a very short book that is written, fill, it's written with a, a, a tremendous amount of prophecy, okay? And, and one of the reasons that we know that it's prophecy, and prophecy is kind of this instruction and foretelling of something that's coming, okay? So uh, when we see prophecy within Scripture, uh, uh, a lot of times it talks about like the, the change that has to happen within a person or a group of people. And then it talks about like what God's going to be doing on the other side of that. We'll, we'll prove that in just a moment. But Micah is foreshadowing the Christ. So there's a baby that's coming. His name is Jesus. We just celebrated the entire idea of the revelation of God coming in, in, in the form of man, creating a path to salvation. And so Micah is just one of the prophets 
that is talking about this. So God is bringing revelation. He's bringing understanding to Micah, and he's giving this instruction to his people, the children of Israel. Uh, and so, so what does this look like? It, it, it begins with, uh, with judgment. So as we look into this idea of prophecy, the majority of time that we have a prophecy, it begins with some type of judgment. Specifically here in Micah, judgment over social evils, corrupt leadership, and idolatry. So what does this look like? This is what this looks like. He is speaking to a group of people who call themselves believers. Let that just kind of sink in for a moment. The children of Israel are not a group of people who are waving their fist at God saying, we don't believe in you and we hate you. They're saying we believe in God and we want all this other stuff as well. Like like we want everything that everybody else has and we want you, God. And God says, you can't have it all. And so in, in, in the book of Micah, he begins by laying out the fact that there will be judgment because of the way that they treat people. So the way that you treat your neighbor matters, okay? That you have leadership, people who have been placed into positions of leadership and they are corrupt. And then you have people who are in idolatry, What does that mean? That means that they are worshiping other things. They've made other things gods in their lives. Uh, Louis Giglio, a pastor in Atlanta, I love the way that he says it. He says, you want to figure out uh, what you worship? Just lay out what you spend your time doing, and you'll find out the things that are idols in your life. You go, I don't know if I've got any idols. Well, just do a little daily journal and say, I spend this much time doing this, this much time doing this, this much time doing that, and then go and say, oh, oh, wow, here are the things that I spend more time with than I do with my relationship with God and building community and practicing the way of living that God instructs. And so this is a group of people, they're living like this and judgment is being uh, promised to them. And then secondly, there will be restoration. So majority of time when we look at prophecy, we're gonna see some type of judgment but God is faithful, he is just, he does not bring judgment because he is angry and he wants to be done. He brings judgment because he needs to tear something down to rebuild it. And there's two types of restoration specifically that we see here in the book of Micah. One of them is a rebuilding and the other is an exaltation. So one of the things that God will do when he brings judgment into a person's life or into uh, uh, into a group of people's lives is he will tear down things around them, whether that is physical structures, whether it is economies, whether it is the way that they are practicing their spiritual lives, he will tear those things down and then he will build back up those things. So he'll, he'll, he'll begin the process of rebuilding, rebuilding, restoring those things. And then what he does is because when you are living right, you are the testimony of God right? You are the story of God being pushed forward. Then he will exalt those people. And so there is a promise of not just a rebuilding. These things will be destroyed. They will be rebuilt. But also at the point of rebuilding, at the point of things being restored, you will be exalted. People will look at you and they will say, I want what they have. That's what leads people to Christ. He uses us, right? Book of Revelation says that in the very, very end, the enemy will be defeated by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. 
Who's he talking about? He's talking about the saints of God. So what is it that ultimately brings destruction to the enemy? It's the blood of the lamb being shed. That's already taken place. So the only thing that's lacking in the enemy's destruction is the children of God beginning to have a voice. If we could just begin to testify, if we could just get real and begin to tell our stories, it is devastating to the kingdom of the enemy. God says, as I rebuild you, I will not just bring you to a place of prosperity or of easy living, but I will exalt you to be a testimony to people and that will destroy the enemy. Think about it like this. Uh, Restoration requires destruction. Look at your neighbor and say, restoration requires destruction. You can't restore something until it is at a point of needing to be restored. Has anybody ever restored a house before? So Carmen and I, we got married at the age of 20 and uh, we moved up to Springfield, Missouri to go to Bible college. And while we were there, we lived in a uh, rental, a little townhouse. It was great. And then we were ready. We wanted to make the purchase of our first home. Now, I don't know if you can imagine this or not, but being in Bible college and working at Western Sizzlin, I didn't necessarily have a ton of money. So going to pick houses, we weren't driving through the gated communities. You know what I'm saying? We were looking at foreclosures and homes that needed a tremendous amount of work. In fact, the first home that we bought, we bought for $32,000, right? Which was a great great price on the house. And then we got in there and I got my hands dirty learning how to do restoration. And so the house was filled with wood paneling and not wood paneling that was in good shape. It was curling up. It was the cheap stuff, the really thin stuff. So it was like bowing and curling. So, and underneath it was lath and plaster. If you know what that is, there are these little short boards that have like this like concrete mixture on top of it. And so I was in there uh, and, and I'm a go-getter. So when I'm in a project like that, like I can go without sleep. And so it was like two o'clock in the morning and I'm busting stuff off. And I remember uh, I'm, I'm tall enough a lot of times not to need a ladder but short enough that I should be on a ladder. And so I had a long crowbar and I was prying a piece of that, uh, uh, of that wood off, that, that uh, paneling, and it literally popped loose and slid down the crowbar right into my mouth and punched my lip into my teeth, right? And at two o'clock in the morning, do you think Carmen was there working with me? No, I was all alone and I was bleeding and I was getting my hands really dirty in the moment. And at the end of that project, we had spent about $40,000 restoring the house and we sold the house for exactly everything that we had put into it. We made no profit on it when we sold the house, right? That was our first time to ever do something like that. Now, the house that we live in now, when we moved into it, it did not need quote unquote restoring. It was in decent enough shape. It was move in ready, but there were things in it that we weren't happy with. And so we began the process of, as we were able to afford it, to bring transformation and restoration into the house. And so uh, one of the things that took place is we took up the old floors and they were uh, oak floors. They were really nice, but there was water damage underneath them. When we pulled them up, I took them and I took a planer and I planed all of those oak boards and I reused those and put them as my backsplash 
around my kitchen. So if you've been in my house, you've seen the wood that makes the backsplash. Those are the old floors that everybody used to walk on. I restored all of that and put it back up. Here's what I'm getting at, is that subjectively, Carmen and I have walked through that house and we have said, that's gotta go. This needs to go. This needs to be better. And we have ripped things out, we've pulled things out, and we have made changes so that the house would begin to take on the form that we want it to take on, so that it would be the house that we want to live in. And so, so, so God, in the same way, looks at us and says, I have a picture, a design, a destiny for you, what you need to look like, and there, there's some wood paneling you put up as a shortcut, and that stuff's got to go, Right? That stuff's got to go. It's old, it's cheap, and you're worth better wood paneling if that's what you want in there, right? So I'm being really careful right now. If you've got wood paneling in your home, that is perfectly okay. I'm just saying, like, when it's falling apart and rotting, there is a point where it's like, it's time to make some changes, right? There's just a point at which it's not healthy, it's not safe, and that's the point at which God begins to speak, and he begins to talk about this idea of judgment. So I want to be really careful. Judgment isn't about, like, shame on you, I'm done with you. Judgment is, within Scripture, for us while we're living, is about the fact that I expect more from you, so I'm going to keep pushing you until you are better, right? So, like in chapter 2, we get through some of this judgment, and look here in verse 13. It says, he who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. So he begins to talk about the fact that there's a judgment that's coming. There will be destruction, right? And then somebody is going to open the breach and go before them, right? So it's talking about the Holy Spirit, the Father, coming in, and there will be a breaking point where things have torn down. It's time for the breakthrough. Everything is prepared, right? So you've got this blank canvas in front of you. It's time to start rebuilding. It's time for victory. And when that happens, it says that the breach, it goes up before them, and they break through and pass the gate. You move past the limitation that was in front of you, that thing that was holding you back, that had had you trapped, and what does it say? It says that their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. The good news is this, that when the destruction comes, when the tearing down, when the price is paid, God is faithful to be the one standing there as the dust settles to grab you by the hand and lead you forward. So getting to a place of breakthrough in your life has a cost, okay? There's a price that has to be paid. The good thing to remember is that God is there the entire time and there might be some bleeding and there might be some pain and there might be uncomfortable moments. In that first home, uh, uh, Carmen went and uh, lived with her sister and I lived in the house that we were renovating. And so I had a sleeping bag and it was dirty and I would get in it at night and sleep for a few hours and wake up and work. These were not like, like I was not invested in that home uh, sitting there going like, this is where I want it to end. I wasn't able to, to be next to my wife. In fact, she was actually pregnant at the time. So I was on a deadline. Like Isaac was on his way. I needed to have the house ready. So I was, I was working as hard as I could and I was still working a job and I was still going to school. 
I had something in front of me. I had a goal that was in front of me, but it required me to tear some things down, to put some things back in place. And that same principle is at work when God begins to tear things down, when he begins to say, that's got to go, and he comes in and he begins to remove it. It might seem painful, but if you let God do what God does, here's what I can promise you is that he will be there for the breakthrough. He'll walk you through that process. The breakthrough you desire only comes through fire. Look at the person beside you and say, the breakthrough you desire only comes through fire. You will not experience breakthrough like you would really be excited about if you aren't willing to walk through the fire. Those things that we cherish in life, those things that we hold to be so valuable, whatever it is, they came with a price. That's what makes a collectible a collectible. The thing that I have that nobody else has and it's worth so much money because there aren't that many of them. There's something unique about this. There's something special about this, right? It came with a price. You look at a husband and a wife and you see how happy they are and you see that they're living a life together and you go, man, I want it to be like that one day. I can tell you that somebody that's been married for 15 or 25 or 50 years and they still hold hands and still kiss each other and still love each other, that did not come because they just played with Play-Doh together. There was some fire that was involved in it. That meant that there were some difficult times and they pressed through. They made some decisions when it was easy to be selfish, to be selfless. And that's why they're experiencing a breakthrough in a society that can't seem to get their hands around this. There's a price to be paid. And sometimes it's permanently sacrificed. Sometimes God looks at some things in your life and he says, listen, that addiction that you've got, it doesn't serve you well. It's got to go and it can never come back. It's got to go and it can never come back. I'll use alcohol as just a really good illustration for this. I'm not gonna get up here and tell you that you can't drink, but I can tell you right now that if you're a drunk, you shouldn't drink. And I hear people all the time who wrestle with alcoholism. They wrestle with with drinking too much. And so they live their lives like a swinging door, moving from a binge to some freedom, to to a binge to some freedom. And they say this because they're believers. It's my my right, like like my liberty as a believer to be able to drink. You can't judge me and I'm not going to judge you, but I will tell you that if you can't control it, you shouldn't touch it. This is one of the reasons why I have made the decision to just not drink, not because I can't control it, but because so many of the people I love can't. And so I stand in solidarity with them and say, I'm just not going to touch it because I want to be an example to some people around me who I know just don't need to touch it. And sure, there are lots of people that can have a glass of wine here and there or a beer here and there, and they don't wrestle with drinking themselves into oblivion. But there are a lot of people who have addictions like this in their life and they just can't manage it. And I wanna say one more thing for you real quick. If the word of God says it, there is no revelation in your life that undoes it. Like God's not gonna sit here and go, listen, I know I'm telling everybody else this one thing, but you're special. Like, like you, I'm holding you to a different standard, right? So you just need to make sure everywhere you go, you tell them God said so right? They'll totally understand. Even though it's contrary to my word, it's good. That's not God. 
The scripture says he's not the author of confusion. Think about how your testimony looks to somebody who's really wrestling with their faith when they're reading the Bible and it says one thing and then you say you're a Christian and you just exempt yourself from that portion of scripture. It just doesn't work that way. So there are some things that just sometimes have to be permanently sacrificed. The good news is, is that we get some choices in this. You see, the reason that this is prophecy to Israel isn't because God says, listen, here's what's happening. I'm coming in with my fist held high and I'm gonna bust that thing down. He says one way or another, it comes down. So you can be the one that goes ahead and prepares it for restoration or I'll come in and do it. Unfortunately, Israel was stubborn time and time again. As believers, they were stubborn and they, they, they just held on and they just thought to themselves, I don't care what the prophet says. I don't care what the teaching says. They dug in and they kept doing what they were doing. And then it required God to come in and forcefully bring change and transformation. But the word of God is laid out in front of us so that we can pair that with our lives and we can go, this isn't honoring and pleasing to God. I need to permanently lay it on the altar and stop making excuses for it. It just needs to die today. I just need to be done with it. And I'll just add one more thing to this idea of laying it on the altar. It does not need to lay on the altar that's inside of your closet. Because if you lay it on the altar inside of your closet, You'll go in there and pick it back up and put it back on time and time again. But I will tell you that if you will lay some of these things on the altar that is out in the courtyard in front of everybody and you're living in community, you can find people that will hold you accountable. That when you begin to make your way back to that thing that you killed, that thing you said you were done with, you'll have people who love you enough that'll go, whoa, didn't you say? Isn't this what's best? Isn't this how you felt like God was leading? Doesn't this line up with the word of God? I personally don't watch uh, horror movies. Uh, When I was young, my mom and dad just, they first of all didn't let me watch an R-rated movie until I moved out of the house. So I just didn't see R-rated movies. And uh, so, you know, there just aren't a lot of uh, rated G horror movies. You know what I'm saying? Um, Walking through the blockbuster back in the day, they're just, you know, Fern Goley was about as scary as it got for me. And, and, and so, so I, I, just, I just, as an adult, I just have chose, chosen not to do that. That doesn't mean that I don't enjoy a thriller, right? But things that really deal with the, with the idea of demonic monsters, Freddy Krueger, like murdering type of, just butchering people. Like, I just don't care for that. Now, I get it. I have conversations with people all the time that are Christians and they oh man, I love that stuff. I don't get it. I, I don't understand that, but hey, I'm, I'm you, you, and, you and Jesus, and I really can't pull any scripture out that says don't go grab the R-rated movie off of the shelf, but you know, uh, you figure it out. But I, I, I have seen some thrillers in my life um, and, uh, and some things that really border on that area. And one of the things that I noticed about kind of the, 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 the idea of the, the killer genre, the serial killer genre, is that, you know, if they're a monster, they're just emboldened, right? They just come walking out and they're wearing their claws and their burnt skin and everybody just runs in fear, right? But, but then there's another type of killer that's out there and that's the killer that nobody knows who it is. And the reason that nobody knows who it is is because they do everything they do in darkness. They're covered by the shadow. 
And so in the movie or in the story, when something bad's happening, it's always happening in the cover of night or in an abandoned warehouse. And if you're watching the movie, you're never really seeing their face. Because part of the thing that, 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 that they want to get you with is the reveal at the end that it turns out it was really your dad the entire time that was killing everybody or whatever sick thing they've come up with that blows your mind and makes you walk out of there going, yes, more of this. But what happens is, is that they no longer have power when there's light on them. Once they're revealed, it's over. Once you know who the killer is, if you don't get up and walk out when they walk in, you're stupid. Right? Nobody wants to stand in the room with the killer. Once the light is, once it's done, it's like, I'm done with you. I don't need to play Monopoly with you anymore because I don't trust you. And I just think if, you, if we could put that into some perspective about how we allow the enemy to operate in our lives with secret sin and how there are things that really, like, like we do a great job at keeping buried down inside of us. And I'm not talking about the things that just run through us, right? Like the day where we just, man, I messed up today, but tomorrow's a day of it. I'm talking about the things where we just bury things inside and we keep them secret and we justify them. I promise you the reason you're justifying them is because they are in the veil of darkness and nobody is aware of what's going on inside of you. And I can tell you that when light gets on it, if you aren't the ones that put the light on it, if somebody else does, you are covered in guilt. You feel guilty and ashamed. But if you will be the one that turns the light on it, you will experience victory. This is what's good about the warnings that scripture brings for us is that it allows us to pull out that giant strobe light, not strobe light, floodlight, and turn a strobe light, we just freak everybody out. A, a, flood, a floodlight, we turn it on and we go, listen, here's where I'm struggling, but I'm drawing a line in the sand today and I'm done with it. And you know what the truth is? The testimony of that stirs the heart of the person next to you and they go, oh man, I'm, I've been actually dealing with the same thing. Like, look at them, look at what they're doing. Well, if they can do it, maybe I can do it. And all of a sudden, people all over the place are turning floodlights on and they're shining it into the darkest parts of who they are. David, writing in Psalm 139, he says, God, you already know the deepest parts of who I am, but here's the permission that I give you. Take that big old honking light and look again. Look into the darkest corners and see if there's any wickedness or evil in me. I've already walked out wickedness and evil. It's already cost me too much. I never wanna go that place again. And the things that have to be permanently sacrificed, the good news is you get to choose if you want to do that today. But I can tell you that sometimes breakthrough just can't come until you do. And you're praying and you're asking God, why aren't you doing this? And God's going, I'm ready to do it, but I need some transformation inside of you. The second one here, the two types of cost, permanently sacrificed. And the second one is that which is temporarily sacrificed. That means that there are gonna sometimes be things that you have to give up that aren't necessarily displeasing to God and he'll restore those things. He'll bring those things specifically back, but you have to be ready and willing to pay the price. You see, people understand the cost of suffering. This is something people get, right? You find out somebody has a disease, cancer, some type of sickness, even a head cold. 
and they're telling you about how their face is hurting and they can't stop coughing or, 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 or other problems and you get it, like things aren't right and there's a price that's being paid inside of you. And nobody looks at that and goes and, and, and is shocked by the cost of that. In fact, like we live in a world where that sometimes the cost is even all the way up into having to give up their life, right? But people underestimate the cost of hope. We're not surprised when there's a price for suffering, but we underestimate the cost of hope. The cost that our dreams, our ambitions, the things that we really want to see happen can have. Proverbs 13, 12 says this, that hope deferred makes the heart sick but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. You see, we all wanna be on that side of getting what we want. But when hope is deferred, when we find out that thing that we were wanting isn't happening today, that it might not be until next year, like there's a sickness that comes inside of us. See, it's really easy for hope to turn to hopelessness. For some of us to be hoping for God to move in a way, maybe even in our children's lives, our spouse's lives, in our finances, in our careers. And we're thinking like, we're right on the verge. It's about to happen. And then it it doesn't happen yet. And we underestimate the cost. I really believe this, that believing for the breakthrough can have. So I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to deceive you into thinking like you're going to walk out of here at the end of this series and be like, man, I've got everything I need. Breakthroughs happening in 72 hours. It's on. Because you see, transformation and change comes in the timing of God. It's part of where we put our trust at. And so as we hope and we dream and we believe and we walk in relationship, we need to be prepared that it's going to cost us. People live their lives saying, I thought my life would look different. I thought my family would look different. I thought my job would look different. I hear this all the time. People who are are at a place in their life where they're going, this isn't what I dreamt it would be. It's not where I thought that it would happen. It's not where I thought I would get to. And one of the saddest things that I just see happening in the church that mirrors the world is giving up. I guess my marriage will just never look like that. I guess we just were never really meant to have that kind of habit. I guess we were, I was never meant to have that job that I really thought I would. I guess, I guess my family, it's just, it's just never gonna be what I dreamed it would be, right? And perhaps this explains our slumber. Can I tell you something? It just is burning inside of me. Listen. The call for us not to be physically violent as Christians is a real call. But that is does not exist in the spiritual world. You you yes, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Yes, turn the other cheek physically but wage spiritual war on the enemy. 
and we have taken just inside of the church this idea of of, of loving those people around us and loving our enemy to such a place that we have lost the position that we have as warriors to demand the enemy be gone. And so there are principalities and strongholds. This is why Paul says we wrestle not with flesh and blood, right? That isn't your fight. Have a backbone. I had this conversation with Carmen two, two, two nights ago. It's like, like I, I'm not seeking out violence with anybody, but I have a backbone. Like, I'm not just gonna lay down and cower away. Like, I don't think that that's what the Christian way is, is for us to just give up and say, oh, whatever they want, God's in control. And then we go suck our thumbs and play our video games and watch our Netflix. There's like zero biblical evidence for that. There's no teaching that says like, where God says, I'm all good. You go do whatever you want. Just be back by dark. It's your testimony paired with his blood that drives the enemy out. There's an empowerment that's been set on top of us that we have to believe in and we have to be ready to pay the price But because hope deferred hurts so bad because the things we're dreaming for aren't happening fast enough, I think that this explains why within the church there are so many Christians asleep just doing the daily routine, going through the motions, trying to make sure that their little circle is good enough. And we've lost the ability to wrestle with principalities, to come as children of God and be positioned for victory. You see, it costs far less to live a life without desire. That's the truth. It will cost you very little to live a life with no dreams. You won't have to sacrifice much. You see, you can't be disappointed if you have no expectations. And you say, well, Pastor Jim, I I mean, I had this dream. I had this hope. I thought this thing was gonna happen and it hasn't happened. So I just, I decided, well, God must not be in it. And there's never been a divine moment where God sat down with you and said, listen, I know your whole life, you thought this was gonna happen, but that's just not what's gonna happen. Can I tell you, that's not even the way that God works. If you're off base, God doesn't come down and shoot down your dream. He just gives you a better one. That's the way God operates. God says, listen, I know that what you wanna do is move this direction. And God says, I'm gonna take that and put it over here and it's gonna change nations. People are gonna be saved. Lives are gonna be transformed. It's that whole idea of how we misinterpret scripture, right? That God will give me the desires of my heart so I just write down all the things I want. Ford GT, what What was it, Davey? GT40. I saw this yesterday and I sent him a picture of it. It's just this really beautiful car, right? Like I'm gonna write it down. I desire that thing. God's gonna give it to me. Can I, can I tell you what? Like, like I can be honest with you. That's actually not a desire that's inside of me. I could care less. Would I get in it and drive it? Yes, I would get in it and drive it. 
I'm not making the list for God to check twice. God's giving me those things that really burn inside of me. I got a text message from a couple in the church this last uh, week, and they were uh, just wanting me to know how they're gonna be praying this week. I mean, this, this year, 2019. Like, so they just laid some things out. Here's some things we're declaring and believing for. And they just said this, 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 and this. And they wanted me to know. And then they wanted to know, is there anything that, that, they, that they could do different or anything they could be in prayer for for us in the church? And then I had somebody else ask me the same question this morning. Said, what, what can I be in prayer for you for? And I, I really have given this a lot of thought the conversations with Carmen, like right now, like, like I'm in a position of hope that, that all the effort and all of the, 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 the things that we've poured into the ministry here will bear fruit and impact this neighborhood. I want in 2019 to see the seats full. I wanna add chairs in here. I wanna hear the stories of how you are ministering to people and lives are being changed. You see, I wanna be a part of a church that if Jesus doesn't return, it outlives me by hundreds of years. I just wanna be able to say, yeah, I was a part of that movement. I was a part of what God did there. That's what I'm asking for. Has it happened as fast as I want it to happen? And has it happened as fast as I want it to happen? Do I see momentum sometimes and get excited? Yes, I do. But I'm not giving up. Look here at Matthew chapter 25. There's these 10 virgins. They hear that the bridegroom will be coming. And it says here in verse eight, that five of them, there were five and five, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. So 10 of them came out, it was dark. They had lit their lamps and five of them brought plenty of oil. And five of them just brought a little bit. And as their oil ran out, they looked over to the wise and they said, hey, we're short on oil. Can we have some of yours? But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. You see, it cost those five something every second they waited. There was a temporary sacrifice being made every single second that they waited, every second that they hoped. And you might be standing in a position waiting for breakthrough. Saying, I don't know when he's coming, but I know that he's coming. I don't know when the breakthrough's happening, but I know that it's happening. Just don't be deceived. It has a price. And five of them got this. Five of them stood there and said, yeah, we know we need to make sure because he might not come until tomorrow. We've got to get through the night. He's got to be able to find me. My light's got to be burning. I've got to have enough oil. And five others said, oh, you know, I mean, surely he's not going to come after three in the morning. I I won't need that much. I don't have to sacrifice that much. I'll just go and get a little bit. And then all of a sudden, what happened? Their hope turned to sickness because they left. And when they returned, the bridegroom had shown up. The breakthrough had happened and only half of them got to experience it. And the other half missed it because they weren't ready to pay the price until it was too late. You have to give up to go up. You have to give up to go up. 
Carmen and I, we uh, follow Dave Ramsey. She listens to him lately, very frequently. He's a Christian who gives a lot of financial advice. If you're looking for you know, information on how to budget, Dave Ramsey's a great resource. And so he got a phone call from a guy who owns a series of restaurants, right? He said he's in his early 50s and uh, his net worth was just over $25 million. 20 million, just over $20 million, right? And he said, uh, Dave Ramsey was like, well, tell me, how'd you get there? He said, here's how I got there. I opened a restaurant and I worked 12 hours a day. I was $35,000 upside down just to my food vendors. He said, I sat down, I wrote it all out. I calculated, I was making just over $2 an hour. And he said, then I sat there and I thought to myself, God, I know that breakthrough can come. I know that you're faithful. And yet here I am and uh, I'm still suffering. And he said that God spoke to him and said, this is because it's never been about you. So he made a decision that day that he was going to find somebody who worked with him, who was a minimum wage earner, and he was going to develop them to own their own restaurant. And he said that as he began to pour into that person, God began to bring the increase. As he began to develop the next leader, God began to open doors and now they have restaurants all over uh, somewhere along the West Coast. And he has a net worth of just over $20 million. And he said that when 2008, the recession hit, said his accountant walked in and said, listen, in order to be able to do what we do because of the downturn, we need to give all of our upper management a 10% pay cut. 10%, 10%, we don't have to lay anybody off. We just need to give them a 10% pay cut. You notice, he said, my immediate response was, we won't give that to them. I'll take a 50% pay cut. That'll cover it. And he said, I just have been positioning myself to just pay the price. Because the truth is you have to give up something to go somewhere you have to be ready to pay the price. Let's stand to our feet. As you are praying for breakthrough, and I am asking you to be very conscious of this over the course of this month. If you're married, you and your spouse be talking about it. If you're single, find somebody that you can be having a conversation with. And start laying out some dreams. Start making some declarations. Start saying, God, this is, this is really what I want to see happen. And then begin to look at what are the things in my life that it's going to cost me permanently and what are the things I just need to give up temporarily. Maybe I, maybe I will make $2 an hour for a season, but I believe that on the other side, there's a victory that's coming. I believe the dream that he has inside of me is bigger than that. I believe that the hope that he has given me is something that will make a change. 
and I'm willing to make the sacrifice, count the cost to prepare for the breakthrough. Let's close our eyes for just a moment, if you will. We're going to end and we're going to leave in just a moment. I want to give you an opportunity to just first and foremost in this year, make sure your heart is positioned properly. Maybe you're far from God and before you can even get to the place of breakthrough, you need to just, you need to repent. You need to say, Jesus, I need you to be the lead. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe today is the day that you say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. Scripture says it's really simple that those who believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord will be saved. That's where it all begins is by putting Jesus in the position of lordship, identifying that I can't save myself, I need a savior. And from there, we begin to declare all of those things that God's birthing inside of us that are our hopes and our dreams, and we count the cost. And we make ready the season of sacrifice that's in front of us because God's faithful that when things are restored, then the time of exalting comes and he will be made famous. I wanna pray with you right now. Father, I pray that our hearts would be stirred for breakthrough, not just because it's a new year, but because we're your children, that we would be in a place where we position ourselves ready to pay the price, ready to sacrifice whatever it takes to be a part of a testimony that so radically challenges the enemy that it transforms lives and brings destruction to his territory and saves people that you care about. Give us the drive, the fight, the inspiration to walk it out love you. We declare you are king.